Okay. Shabbat shalom, everybody. Welcome. Wow, it feels so different to be seated in this middle chair. And uh, thank you, Rabbi Wes. Yeah. Where, were you born in Argentina? I was born in Buenos Aires, as I might have told you. <laughs> so to, today, uh, we are going to try to beat the weather with um, beautiful music. And um, so, but before we, we get right into Sephardic music and the differences with Ashkenazic, let's uh, thank God for the blessing, and let's continue with the blessings. Baruch well, first of all, I want to start by thanking all of you to be here in person. I mean, we get paid, but you, I mean, it's like, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, we're not supposed to talk about money on Shabbat. So, um, Shabbat shalom, everybody. Let's begin by, by talking a little bit about the Sephardic world, and, and this is the theme of today's Shabbat Shira. Um, so basically, let's go back a little bit in history. We are going back to the 7th century. I hope you don't fall asleep while I'm giving this explanation. 7th century, Ottoman Empire, and with that, a lot of freedom for the Jews in the Iberian Peninsula, Spain and Portugal, to go and settle and actually have freedom of religion. That is what is called the golden age of, of Spain and Portugal. Um, there are funny things, a couple of funny things. Jews were allowed to build synagogues as long as they were not taller than the mosques, for example. Or they were allowed to ride on honkeys, in honkeys, donkeys, donkeys, and not horses. So, you know, they have some liberty, but not, not everything. Anyways, so Jewish music developed. And then, obviously, with the Crusades and the Catholics taking over, Inquisition, 1492 in Spain, 1496 in Portugal, the Jews were expelled. Uh, from then on, the Jews settled in two main areas. Morocco, because it's below Spain. You know, this is a geography test as well. Morocco. And that is what is called the Western Sephardic tradition. And then, or in the Balkans area, what used to be Yugoslavia, Bulgaria, and Turkey. Okay, those were the, the two main areas. So when we talk about Sephardic music, we have to define dividing Eastern Sephardic music and Western Sephardic music. We have different examples of both. Eastern Sephardic music is much more related sound-wise to the music of the Arab countries, all right? These kind of melismas, these kind of coloraturas, uh, much more similar to what is called the makam, the style of music that is predominant in the, in the Arab countries. And Western is much more related to we, who we are. So you can find Sephardic music that sounds completely like our Ashkenazic music. All right? Now, one third of that, you know, a different third is what we call Mizrahi music. Mizrahi music technically is not Sephardic music. Mizrahi music is a term 
that was uh, applied to mostly the Jews in Israel from Iraq, Iran, and Yemen. Okay, and it's called Mizrahi music. Um, now, a couple of little things that are a lot of fun. If you are familiar with New York City, on um, Central Park West and 70th Street, on the corner, gorgeous, beautiful synagogue, Sherit Israel, Spanish and Portuguese synagogue. What is so interesting about that is the oldest congregation in America, oldest congregation in America, 1654, all right? You may say, oh, the, um, the one in, um, in Turo, 1658, by four years. And what is really fascinating is that for 170 years, from 1654, um, somebody good with the math, until 1820-something, um, that was the only congregation in New York City. Is there something more Jewish than New York City? No. So can you imagine for 170 years only one synagogue? So a lot of the music we are going to be singing com comes from that synagogue. It's called the Spanish and Portuguese. They have sister synagogues in um, Curaçao, in the Caribbean, and in Amsterdam. The Amsterdam, the beautiful Esnoga Synagogue, is a sister synagogue of the Spanish and Portuguese. All right, so I think I said enough, right? Alisa, please take it over. Well, I was going to ask for a couple definitions before we move forward. Yes. Can you define makam and melisma, please, and coloratura? Ooh, interesting. Anyways, so um, when you, there is a typical sound of the um, Middle Eastern music, all right, that, that uses what is called um, half tones, and the makam uses microtones. Uh, the singers who are really good at this can do it. I cannot do it. I don't know if you can do it. Microton. <laughs> microton. Microton means like it sounds like flat or it sounds like sharp. Like, but it's not. It's part of the the uh, control they have over this music, and uh, you can hear a lot of this. I mean, it, it's obvious what I'm going to say. Imagine Jewish people live here for, for 400 years or more in a country. You take all the culture of the of the place, not only culturally. In terms of ideas, old culture, but also in music. So that is a reflection of it. So I really was just hoping you would do all of the Talmud class. So here we go. <laughs> so um, what we're going to do is we're going to move into five different prayers. And each prayer, um, Elias is going to be kind enough to sing us an Ashkenazi version and a Sephardi version. And then we're going to move together as a conversation about how those versions make us feel. We're going to try to avoid musicology. We're going to try to avoid music theory. We're going to try to avoid any technical terms. If we can, if we don't, we'll define them. Um, uh, and challenge our cantorial colleagues. Wonderful. So we have <laughs> these handouts called Shabbat Shirah by Eliza Berger. <laughs> I and did try uh, to take my name <laughs> off. It was just the Safaria. <laughs> anyway, so one, one more thing before we get right into the singing. Rabbis, perhaps you can help me a little bit more here. Um, we can say, we Ashkenazic Jews, the majority here in America, we can say Sephardic culture is so foreigner to us. And it's very different from us. They are Jews, but they are nothing to do with us. Sephardic tradition, it's present in our Sidurim, in everyday life. Take, for example, you know, one quick, one very quick um, information about services. You know, central prayer of the services is the Amira. Then we have Shema, blessings before, blessings after, and the different Kaddishim, Kaddish Alem, or Kaddish Hatsi Kaddish divide the parts. That's the central thing. Now, services are also with, you know, filled with Piyutim. Piyutim, imagine Adon Olam, Igdal, Lechadodi, 
I don't know, Unetane Tokev, so many in the high holies. The vast majority. I think just the quality you change the people who may not know what that means. Like POTIM. Yeah, POTIM is um, medieval poetry, all right? And this is somebody who sits down and writes, all right? I want to write something. The vast majority of the POTIM were done by Sephardic Jews, okay? Um, what is the, one of the most important medieval Jewish thinker, philosopher? Maimonides, where did he live? In Cordoba, Cordoba, in Spain, or is the city in the south. So Shlomo Alcabet, Shlomo Halevi, Isaac Luria, so many of them, the majority of are the composers. So Sephardic is part of us. All right. And that's important because the, when they often hid their names in acrostics. So we'll start with Lachado D, where the author, if you look at the first letter of every verse, you can see that by the second olive, it's Shin, uh, the Dalid, Lamed, so it's Shlomo. He puts his name in the verses itself. Will you sing for us a couple versions? Yes, several, several lechadoi. Uh, so we've been singing at Shabbat Alive. Um, we've been singing. What is the melody we use for Shabbat Alive? No, no, <laughs> so many villas. Anyways, let. No, that's the old one. All right. Melodies number one, Ashkenazic origins. Number two. Can you join us, please? Composer Shlomo Karlebach, a Hasidic rabbi in the 1960s. Now, today we are going to be hearing in services a melody of Lechadi written by a um, Moroccan cantor, Aaron Ben Susan, and it goes like this. Um, so those are examples. So before you get there, I just noticed in your body, you started snapping your finger when you got into the Sephardic mill. You like moved your body. Can you talk about what it was like to sing those different versions? Well, let's ask Wes. What do you feel, Wes? So I'm not a musicologist, but uh, in my just crude lay language, there's upbeat uh, tunes and there's more downcast sullen tunes. Um, and I'm much more drawn to the downcast and sullen tunes. Uh, yeah, yeah, like the, that, like the really sad stuff. Like I, I mean, that's what I hear. I don't have. Oh, wait, all wait, that. wait. Lejado di is mainly a pute that it's supposed to be happy, right? We are welcoming the Shabbat bride into right. our sanctuary. Yes. And, hey, bride, why don't you come in? We are all so no. sad. No, we, we yeah. say, you know, hey, the bride is here. Right, right. But, like, my favorite, uh, my favorite version of Lejado di, which just gets me every time, is a Leonard Cohen hallelujah, when you do the last verse to hallelujah. So I find that my emotional weather is always most drawn to the somber, darker hue, and the upbeat, chirpy thing doesn't work for me. It goes whoosh. It's so funny that you mentioned this, because for centuries, 
uh, rabbis have been opposed of cantors taking melodies from the popular culture and bringing them to Judaism. That is exactly what we do with Leonard Cohen. Leonard Cohen wrote that melody for Hallelujah. Yeah. Nothing to do with synagogue, and we apply it to Boyeve Shalom. Right, but I guess to, you asked, Elisa, as one of the central questions, how does it make you feel? And so, so to me, these words are never about what the words say and never about what the literal translation of what the words mean. Like in my life, I've never actually reading the translation and what did this poet think. It's always how does it make me feel and how does this word sung this way, capture and connect with my emotions and thoughts and feelings at the time. And so the chirpy, upbeat stuff just doesn't work for me, but the more um, brooding, pensive, reflective, sad, always I can connect with that. Yeah, so to me, my favorite part of Lecha Dodi is actually that we have, I don't know if we've developed a custom, you can tell me if this is either ancient or modern, that we actually don't do one melody. We, in most synagogues that I've been to in the last 20 years for sure, Lecha Dodi is usually split up into at least two melodies, sometimes as we do here, three melodies, and there's sort of a progression to the music. There's a, um, when you think about the story of Lecha Dodi and Svat, we were just, uh, Wayne and I were just in Svat with our members, and they show us the, the place on the mountain where you walk out and you would go and meet Shabbat, and there is kind of that somber, like, please come, Shabbat. The week has been hard. It's we're, we're ready. We need you. We need the restoration. And then there comes a turning point where it splits and it shifts to that joy of, wow, Shabbat is now here. And, and I wonder how the Sephardic and the Ashkenazi traditions play into that. Is there a similar split in Sephardic uh, melodies? Well, actually, not necessarily, because Sephardic, one of, one of the customs, if you go and when you go, and probably you've done that, Sephardic, what they do different from us is that they follow the very ancient tradition of not having the printed books in medieval ages for the congregants, so the chazan or the rabbi, whoever was leading the service, was supposed to say out loud every single word of the book. We do sometimes two lines, then we continue silently, and um, and then, but the Sephardic say everything out loud. And not necessarily, I mean, we know that Sephardic don't use musical instruments. There is no such a thing as conservative reform or orthodox. It's only one tradition and that is mostly, mostly associated in comparison with the orthodox world, no musical instruments. So it's very different. Before we leave the Haradi, can you just, one, I think one way that this song connects with, well, with virtually anybody who ever goes to shul on a Friday night over the course of their life is at the very end welcoming in mourners because at some point we are all, 100% of us are all mourners. There's no exception to that rule. And if you go to shul, then after you get up from shiva, you're welcomed in. Hamakom yinachem etchem. So which is, which is the greeting that's offered at the graveside for the first time as you're leaving the grave. You just lay to rest your mother, your father, your loved one. You walk out, they say, Hamakom yinachem etchem. And now it's Shabbos and it's happy, 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 Kabbalat Shabbat. And they say, Hamakom yinachem etchem. So can you talk about how that makes you feel and what you think the intent of welcoming in mourners using graveyard language is? on Shabbos, where you had the bride and the groom and the Shabbos, et cetera, et cetera, and now we're welcoming in mourners. Yeah, uh, one thing I want to say, first of all, um, the person who sits in this chair is the only one who asks questions. <laughs> <laughs> so with all the respect, 
Wes, uh, I love you. I'm going to, you know, answer your, the question. But he, anyways, uh, watch out. Um, I, I, you perhaps can talk more about the placement in the liturgy of, of the of the mourners. But but to me, what I always try to create is that yes, we do. We we go from the first page of Lechadodi with a slower, more melancholic melody to a more upbeat for. Lotte Boshi and all that stuff, but when we reach Boive Shalom, I'd like to switch and do a little bit of a change to, to a more somber melody, more beautiful, that could be more in, in tune with, with the mourners. I want to add one more thing, which is that we sort of glossed over there's a difference in terms of a, a Sephardic Lachadoni melody and the Ashkenazi melodies. In all of the Ashkenazi melodies that you sang for us, the, the speed of the music, the tempo of the music was constant throughout. There was one melody there was. Um, that it just continues. When you got to the Sephardi melody, you did this beautiful sort of, uh, what you would call in the opera word, like a recitative, where you where you introduced with this beautiful melody up above, and then you jumped in with a dun-da-da-da. And that's a, a feature that some Sephardic music sometimes includes, where you have a contrasting opener and then a middle. And I think that there's a dynamic there uh, to me, it feels overly simplistic to say that Sephardic music is just upbeat or it's just peppy. That there's this contrast, and it's it's a, for my own experience, it's the, it's the pause before the storm. It's that angst. It's it's pulling at my heartstrings, and it gets me moving in a different way. And so when you get to the joy, you've had the angst of like all these harmonies that are going so slowly, and you know it's gonna break into song. Now it comes, and and that's a real difference from what we do in terms of Ashkenazi. It holds that somber. Right, there's joy within the somber. There's there's movement within the slowness. Yeah, a couple of things regarding that. Uh, um, I think that both traditions have melodies that are much, you know, like somber, melancholic, and more upbeat. For example, at the end of services today, if you last until there, <laughs> uh, we are going to hear um, Adon Olam that is from Abraham de Sola. Abraham de Sola was the uh, great composer of the Amsterdam synagogue. And the melody, it's very much like an Ashkenazic melody. It sounds like this. Adon Olam Asher Beterem kol yetzir nibra. That's the difference that I was mentioning before between the Western Sephardic culture and the Eastern Sephardic culture. So, yes, we both worlds hold, you know, different styles. So let's go to Baruch Haba when you're doing a, a wedding and you're welcoming in another welcoming song. And if you could sing us a couple of contrasting versions of that, welcoming and acknowledging that whatever ritual you're performing is being, as my rabbi would say, monitored for quality control from on high. Where is the text? Um, Do we have that text? Yep, it's on the page four, on the very bottom of four and onto five. And the title is on page five. You can see I really nailed this source sheet. <laughs> All right. Anyway, so um, uh, right. So, for example, this is the melody that I use for for um, weddings. Baruch haba b'shem Adonai v'raknuchem mi beit Adonai. That is the Ashkenazic melody that I use, and it's in a minor key. Okay, not not very slow, but it's in a minor key. Um, or, for example, when we do Hallel together here, we do Baruch HaPaveshem Adonai. That is Odi Shama. Okay, still in a minor key. Now, the Sephardic melody 
that I'm going to bring today, it's in a major key. Baruch b'shem Amonai, b'rachnuchem iveid Adonai, el Adonai v'yagher elanu. Interesting, I don't know if you heard, it was naturally for me, I didn't even think, I said Baruch Haba b'shem Amonai. Why did I say that? <laughs> Many years in Argentina, I did weddings in a Sephardi congregation, and um, I was not supposed to say the word Adonai in rehearsals. So we will rehearse with the choir, and we had to say either Amonai, Alonai, anything, you would change a syllable. So I said Baruch uh, Amonai. Anyways. <laughs> Wes, can I ask you, how does that strike you, your desire for somber, your desire for uh, pensive? How does that Baruch Abba work for you? Um, with my, again, my crude and uninitiated ears, I can't really hear the difference. <laughs> Do you notice an emotional like, difference? Unlike, with yeah. Lachado Diz, I could definitely tell the difference, but with the Borah I just can't hear it. And do you notice any emotional difference, or that all strikes you the same? For this one, all strikes me the same. Fascinating. Then, why don't you say something? We haven't heard your voice today. Because I'm just taking in the music. <laughs> um, well, yeah, with the the uh, the 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 Baruch Haba that you're just saying is just so much more. Um, it's 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 I think it's more inviting in a certain way, you know, than than the ones that are that are in the minor key. It has also it, because it's it's in a more major key, it actually feels more more welcoming to the to the bride and groom. I think. Um, so can, can I ask a question too? Because you gave us two, and that's great because it's super helpful to tell the the difference between the two. But I'm aware many weddings that I have gone to with different cantors, right? There are at least three of you here that I have done different weddings with. And in fact, over the years with other people who have done their own melodies, there's also a custom of sort of everybody bringing a different melody into this moment. How does that play out in the Ashkenazi world and in the Sephardic world? Does it tend to be, um, if you're in the Sephardic world, you're gonna bring one melody, whereas if you're in the Ashkenazi world, you have all these differences. Eliza will do a different one than Elias will do than Dan will do, or is, is how, do I, how do I make sense of that? Well, I think you know the answer for these. Basically, um, <coughs> different congregations have their own minagamakom, which is the, the tradition of the place. Some people are very, um, they, wanna, they wanna keep and preserve the melodies of the institution, so they that. But then is the, is the freedom of the chazan to choose which melody they wanna use that, that speaks to them more in the moment and, and they can apply it. So I don't think there is any huge difference. I, I haven't been to enough Sephardic weddings to tell you that, you know, to answer that. Um, but it's it's a matter of, of a choice. Elias, my sense is, having done a thousand weddings with you, that you pretty much always do the Ashkenazi minor key instead of the Sephardi major key. Um, and why is that? I'm Ashkenazi. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, 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 no. I think that, in a way, I relate much more to Ashkenazic music because that is how I was... Uh, I grew up in a country... Where did I grow up? Argentina, I think. <laughs> Buenos Aires. That is the Argentinian chair, <laughs> yes, exactly. right, by the way. Uh, one third of the Jewish population in Argentina is Sephardi. Okay? So my, my mother-in-law, for example, she's Moroccan. And um, I, I grew up with a high influence of Sephardic world, but my, my heart was always in, in the Ashkenazic world. Let's go to Ain Kalahinu. 
Source number two. It's on the back of page two, moving on to three again. The page numbers are very large on this <laughs> source sheet, <laughs> making it very easy to find every text that you need. Back of page two, it says source two. I'll just give you my source. Here you go. Here you go. Just use my source. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, so uh, should we sing different melodies for Enkelo Reino? Yes, please. Okay, so can I sing um, four different melodies? You can sing four different melodies. Four different melodies. So let's let's talk about the most common Ashkenazic melody um, by Frudenthal. <laughs> Funny enough, uh, this song was written maybe a hundred years ago. Okay. Enkelo Reino, Enkadoneino. German reform composer, okay, of the Jewish community in Berlin. Interesting. And uh, then I remember when, when I started here, you guys remember that I said, do you guys know the Sephardic Enkeloeinu with Ladino? And now the Ladino, non como muestro Dios, non como muestro Señor, non como muestro Rey, non como muestro Salvador. I remember vividly when I finished services, a very upset congregant comes and says, Cantor, I love what you do, but can we do the traditional Enkeloheinu? <laughs> I don't like this modern version of Enkeloheinu. And I said, I didn't say that the first time, but the second time when he came, I said, let's talk about tradition. Tradition, this melody, reform composer, 100 years old, Sephardic one, 500 years old. <laughs> so which one is the, which one is the traditional? I, I also have to tell you, we have to thank you for that because when Temple Emmanuel <laughs> members were in Israel and we came to the synagogue in Israel and they said to us, you know, we're going to teach you a melody. If you, I mean, it's a very old melody, and it and it's traditional to us, and 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 just follow along, and it'll be okay. And they started singing that melody, the second one you just sang, and we just all jumped right in and sang along. Right. And one That's one quick note about the language that I use called Ladino. Uh, Yiddish is to Ashkenazic people to what Ladino is to the Sephardic people. All right, Ladino was the everyday language of the Sephardic Jews highly influenced by Spanish, is 90% of Spanish, with different things of, of um, you know, local uh, Castilian and uh, Hebrew words and different things. But it's the same thing to what is, uh, to Moroccans, the language dialect called Haketia. All right? Now, a third melody I want to sing is Enkeloheinu from the Amsterdam Jewish community. Very different, very different from both, and I want your opinion on this. It sounds like this. Very different, right? Very different. It sounds like we're waiting a long time for a kiddish. <laughs> I happen, I actually happen to love that because, um, you know, in Kelohenu, it seems to be like a throw-off at the end of the service. But if you take a, a step back and think about what is this piyut all about, God's kingship, God's might, God's presence in our daily lives, um, that actually, I think, lends itself more to what, what the uh, piyut is about. Okay, but I, I think exactly nobody 
is thinking about God's kingship when they sing Enkel Oheinu. You know, that Enkel Oheinu is a perfect example, um, like Kol Nidre, of the difference between what the words say and how they are experienced by real Jews in shul settings. I don't, you know, it's Enkel Oheinu, if you read it, it's, it's, it's this peon to God and this ode to God's sovereignty and uniqueness and power and incomparability. That just is not how our people think. It's not how I think. And so I think, but what it is, is it's a nice wrap-up to the service. And to me, when I was listening to you, uh, Elias, it made me think about the difference between um, uh, the cantorial intent to get people to sing or the cantorial intent to get people to admire a song. And those are very different. Right. Like the first song, everybody knows, everybody can sing. So if you want the ethic of everybody singing, you go with number one. If, on the other hand, you want to teach or you want, or you want them to just savor, uh, that's, that's song number three. All right, so a couple of things. Thank you, Wes, and thank you for not asking questions. Um, <laughs> what do you think? I'm a, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I, I will be a little bit more careful. This is my personal view. I will be a little bit more careful of saying that none of our congregants think with those words, all right? Uh, maybe that's your view that you perhaps think that everybody thinks like you, but I don't think like that. When I'm singing, and I'm trying to bring the prayers alive. I'm trying to use the words, the ancient words in the text to bring them alive, either with different type of vocal you know, uh, technique or different things or different melodies. And to me, when I'm happy, this is just me, okay? I'm not speaking for any of us. I want to thank God. I'm happy. I want to come to the temple to thank God. That's why I, I come to the temple. That's why I'm a chazan. Anyways. Right. Uh, but, but let me just say in defense, this is not that I think that everybody thinks like me. I, I would never wish that on anybody. It is rather <laughs> that when you actually read the words, none compares to our God, none compares to our master, none compares to our sovereign, none compares to our deliverer. Who compares to our God? Who compares to our master? Who compares to our sovereign? Who compares to our deliverer? Exactly nobody that I know has ever talked that way, thought that way. And, and, and in fact, the opposite. They come for Kiddush. They come to talk for community. They come for friendship. They come for strength. They don't come to sing songs to God who is exalted. Well, that's, and that's what I hear, not what I hear. You, you do know all of us, so you can't right. say exactly no one <laughs> who, who you know. Gonna, um, and, and it's okay. It's possible that, that, we, that I, I'll only speak for myself as Elias has spoken for himself, that, that I am in the minority of humans who come to shul who think in that moment, like, wow. But I'll tell you what does the wow for me. It's not always the words. The words don't always connect me to God. It's not even always the melody. We change the melody often. It is Hannah and David standing right. up and doing these. In other words, it's the, people that connect us to God. It's wait, the wait, people, wait, 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 hold on. And I say, and I say, and, but even when Elias is doing the prayer, I have a sense of the, that, wow, that's, that's God and the Jewish people right there. Okay, and that's not the thank you, of the thank words. you, Michelle. It's the West. experience of hearing. I the have experience. a heavy ball to to pass to you. You just said that the words of Enkeloinu don't inspire you. Correct. All right. I saw you closing your eyes and being like this. Every service we sing, Ain Od. Yes. There is no one like you, and you are not talking to your wife. <laughs> you are talking right. about God. Yes. So, can you describe why in that, in, 
in that prayer you get really in ah. tune and connected and not if it's the same language. Yeah, so it's not as exact. Thank you for that, Elias. It has zero to do with the content of the words. Zero to do with the content of the words. It has everything to do. I love the music. Even for me, the musically challenged, that song, Ain't Ode, is just so inspiring. And I love the harmonies, and I love listening to my dear friends sing it. And I love how when you sing it, our whole congregation sings it. It's kind of like David and Hannah doing Enkelohenu. And it's, it's, a sa it's a same move, which is words that are lifeless become filled with life when you guys sing them. But In other words, it's how the music makes you feel. Exactly. But, but I actually think that that was really so important. If you guys remember when um, we had the prayer for our country led by Ed Gaskin, I had listened to the prayer for our country for 22 years up until that point, right. and it had never come to life the way that it did. And I, I think that, Elias, to me, what's so striking about that third melody that you just sang was the, the cantor bringing that music alive through the melody in sort of an awe-inspiring way. Suddenly, these words that I go, right? that's kind of my, my sense of them. When you sing the third melody, that third melody makes me think again, oh, wow, right? We're, we're actually saying there's no one like God. And, and it makes you stop and pay attention. And, and so you're actually highlighting the way that the music helps us connect to that meaning and our purpose in that. Yeah, one, one thing before Alisa says, uh, Wes, you mentioned something else about uh, the idea of the cantor doing some, you know, look at me, how good I am, and or singing a melody for everybody. Uh, one quick note regarding that, what is called the Golden Age of Hazanut started a little bit over 120 years ago when the Jews of um, Spain, um, Poland and you know Russia, and, and they were suffering the pogroms and the persecution. So people needed to go to the synagogue. So this type of magical, you know, professional voices developed using that style. And that style was supposed to be like a crying like a crying call to God in terms of how much we are suffering, please help us. And, and so that is the style that developed, and that was called the golden age of Hazanut. Think, think about it, you know, when, when in those days when, when regular people wanted to go to hear a great singer, they would go to the opera, and the Jewish people would go to the temple. And there were no records, there were no internet, there were no, you know, Spotify and all that kind of things that you can hear anywhere. So um, I, I love and I enjoy that, I believe that there are times in the liturgy that are set for that, and there are times that you have to include absolutely everybody in the singing. Yeah. One last question on that, Elias. Um, when I was in Israel with my father-in-law, and we were just, uh, you know, like I was trying to find stuff that would connect with him, um, we were listening to Chazanud of the Great Chazanim, and like we would Google Great Chazanim, and we listened to Yasela Rosenblatt and Kosovitsky singing Kol Nidre. And my question is, um, are there still, quote-unquote, great Hazanim like Kosovitsky and Yasla Rosenblatt? Is that whole genre still alive, or has Jewish ethic of prayer changed so much and worship changed so much that Yasla Rosenblatt and Kosovitsky just wouldn't resonate today? Well, first, first, of all, first of all, we have why right were here, you listening to that? Um, I was with Knowing my, you, why? Why? Oh, because, you know, my father-in-law is 94, and he's near the end, and 
we're sitting in this apartment and the hours go, if you've ever had a 36-hour day, they're just forever, and we're straining and struggling to find things that would connect with his first 94 years. My father-in-law is all about prayer and liturgy and high holidays. That's where he really lives. Um, and so we, we're literally listening to, you know, Kol Nidre in December. Um, and, I was, and I was thinking, I have to make a note, and now this is a good time, uh, do Hazanim, are they still getting trained that way? Are they still singing that way? Like if you, if you Google, you know, Yesler Rosenblatt or Kosovitsky and Kol Nidre, it's just a sound that, that is unique, and I'm wondering if it's still done. Yeah, the, the, the um, style of Hazanut is still very alive in the Orthodox movement. Uh, here in America, and uh, you can go to uh, any Orthodox you know in New York who has a cantor, and that's the style they use. Mm. But let's ask then. Then you're a cantorial student these <laughs> days. Are you are you taught you know to, to do this coloratura and yes. high? Yes, okay. that that is still very much alive in the cantorial tradition. Okay. Uh, in in learning now, does it then um, when you w does then apply to what most modern you know um, conservative synagogues are doing? Barely. But um, but I think that knowledge is important. You know, Alizi had the same experience with some you know amazing uh, you know teachers and some amazing uh, uh, yeah. But um, but it's but yes, it, it's still very much taught. Thank you. But uh, but it is as we all thank know, you for answering you. my question. I know Wes's. <laughs> right, I'm going to uh, move Alisa, us along you, for our last example. Yes, yes, I just want I want to get to all examples. So I want to move to Hallelujah. Um, and as we're moving, I also just want to say that that just because a melody is foreign to our ears doesn't mean it's not it's it's not the Ain Kelohane Michelle that you were singing in a Sephardic community. So we also have to be really careful that when we hear Elias singing a melody, there there is a possibility that you go to that synagogue and hear everybody singing that very pensive, very beautiful melody. Um, but Hallelujah, which is on a page in your packet. Page four. <laughs> a page. <laughs> a page or the B page. Hallelujah. So yes. we we have, for example, Debbie Friedman. Uh, let's sing a little bit. Hallelujah. 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 All right. That is a beautiful setting by Debbie Friedman. Um, Debbie Friedman was highly influenced by, I don't know if I'm saying this correctly, Joan Baez, Joan Baez, Joan Baez, um, folk music, definitely folk music, it's one of the um, beautiful styles of music of America, so every, everybody gets influenced by that. Um, the song is in the metrics, is three by four, dun ta ta, dun ta ta, dun ta ta, dun ta, it's very unusual to find Sephardic music in that, in that. Um, musical measures, and uh, so, for example, we sing another one. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! That's much more Hasidic. You see, it has more tempo. Hasidic, you can hear Hasidic music is typically a beat and in a minor key. It has a, both a combination of beautiful upbeat, which is in a way happy, but retaining the sadness of it, and then. We'll do a Yemenite melody today. Alex, how do we feel about these? Yes. I love them all. <laughs> right, there is it's not either or. Hazan, can you sing the traditional Halloween? <laughs> yes. Hallelujah. <laughs> That's a Lewandowski <laughs> one, very German. 
Anyways, so we wanted, thank you everybody, we have to stop and rehearse. And um, so thank you everybody, we, I hope that uh, you got a little bit of the um, world Jewish music and the Sephardic specifically. And uh, Shabbat Shalom, everybody. Is any of us staying here for uh, Ben Nesson is staying yeah. because Wes is coming to rehearse with me. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> so Shabbat Shalom, everybody. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat shalom and go join on. us go at on. Shabbat Shira at 9.30. It's going to be awesome. Okay. Well. All right, Dan, yeah. you're leading the conversation. Yeah, this is new. All right. Thank <laughs> you.